You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. We, we used to get, uh, Queen City Church used to be accused of not being a friendly place. I, I think, I think that, that accusation can no longer stand. <laughs> Man, I love, I love y'all. Just so friendly, so happy. I was, I was thinking, I was watching the worship team this morning and I was thinking about there's two people that volunteer on the worship team today that are also working in kids ministries. And I just thought, Man, that's pretty awesome. People that are, you know, doing two things on one Sunday morning like that. It just, just takes a lot to, to be in a community together. And, um, I just want to tell y'all that we just appreciate y'all. We, we appreciate y'all for being here, for serving, for giving, for just showing up and doing what you do. It's just, um, I don't know. Another thought that I had, um, when, when Dusty was leading that song, New Wine, uh, you know, he's, that song is just talking about being crushed. And uh, I, I just I just had this realization that I feel like so much of my life, I've, I've felt that sense of being crushed. And um, I, most of the time, I kind of, I, I fight against that. Um, but there's a really interesting scripture where, where Paul talks about, uh, uh, you know, when I go through all of these difficulties, um, when I am weak, then what's the next part of that scripture? When I am weak, then what? Then I am strong. Yeah. And, uh, I think, I think a lot of times when we're assessing our lives, when we're looking at the way things are, um, especially in, in kind of the cultural moment that we're in right now, I've just had so many conversations with so many folks right now that are, who are just really struggling with the world. The world's a very difficult place to be in right now. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's always been hard, but uh, it seems like anxiety levels are extremely high right now. And we can, we can have kind of a sense of doom get on us if we're not careful. And I think that one of the great things about being a Christian is that when you find yourself in abject weakness, that is really the point of your greatest strength. And um, I just wanted to remind you all of that this morning, that uh, you have to be careful how you judge your life. You can't make conclusions about your life uh, too quickly. You have to kind of go the distance with Jesus He's doing a slow work. He's doing a slow work in you. And um, I don't know. I, I think that as we go on with the Lord, as we, as we grow old, as we grow older, one of the things that we're going to find out is that the markings of a follower of Jesus is not how amazing they are but it's how they allow the Lord to crush them and pour them out. And that's what Thomas was talking about earlier on. It's that difference between being a consumer of church where you have, you're working these transactional deals with God 
that's one, one version of being a Christian. But then the other version is we are just living lives surrendered to Jesus and whatever comes down the pike, if it crushes us or not, we're trusting that he is doing a good thing in us and in the world. Amen. Well, today I wanted to talk to you. The, the title of my message is Comfort for the Brokenhearted. And the reason why I wanted to uh, talk about the, this this morning is, well, because of something that I mentioned earlier is that uh, because of the world that we live in right now, I am having a lot of different conversations with people who are, who find themselves brokenhearted for one reason or another. Um, and so we're going to just take a look uh, at the Bible today and see what the word says about um, being a brokenhearted person. Um, you know, the thing that I love about the Bible is that it's not, it's not spinning anything. There's all of these very honest stories that are going on in the scripture. And I think we can gain a lot of wisdom and grace from the texts of scripture. Um, but before I jump into that, I kind of want to do a little precursor message. And I just want to, I want to tell you this, that we at Queen City Church, we emphasize teaching on the kingdom of God, the way Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, because we actually believe that the kingdom of God is the solution to all the problems in the world that we face today. And, and we're really in a tricky cultural moment because, because there is so much uncertainty, because there is so much unrest, and because people don't really know what to think or believe anymore, especially in the church, there's also all kinds of different versions about what we should believe and what we should do in the church. So I'm asking myself all, all the time, who do I believe? Because I'm hearing conflicting visions coming from different leaders out of the church. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or am I? Yeah. Okay. So there's all of these different communications about what we should be thinking, doing, and believing. And, and anxiety arises when we hear believers, followers of Jesus, giving conflicting versions about what is true. Right? It's difficult to know what to do. So I've had to ask myself the question, how does one ascertain what is real? How does one ascertain what the scriptures are teaching and what is actually true? It is possible for different people to read the scriptures and come with away with different conclusions, right? Now, in the context of the greater universal Christian church, we have to be able to uh, live with each other, even though we may have shared or, or uh, differences of opinion about what the scriptures are saying. All right. But there are essentials that all Christians believe everywhere. They're called Christian distinctives, right? So I'm not really going to major on the major Christian distinctives this morning, but I do want to tell you that I am always looking for a way to interpret what I read the Bible, how I read the Bible. 
And I'll give you my main interpretive lens. The main lens that I read the Bible through is the lens of the man, Jesus Christ. The man, Christ Jesus. All right. I emphasize what Jesus says primarily. Now, Jesus and Paul don't sit in conflict with each other. There's a lot of harmony there. Paul is is not antagonistic to Jesus, okay? But there are a lot of people in the body of Christ who overemphasize Paul and sacrifice Jesus. They give up on the words of Jesus. They chalk the words that Jesus speaks up to poetry and kind of woo-woo spiritual stuff. But Paul does all the serious theological work. That's not true, okay? I would say this. God is mysterious, and some things about God are hard to know, but not everything about God is mysterious. And there are some things that we can read in the Bible that are explicit and they're exact, and we can take them at their word. Okay? So this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about the kingdom of God. And before Jesus' arrival on planet Earth, All the people in the land of Palestine, the Jewish people, they were eagerly awaiting for God's kingdom to come to earth. Some were waiting more than others, but but by and large, most people were looking for Messiah. They were looking for the kingdom of God to come to planet earth, which is a lot different than what we all do as Christians. A lot of us are looking for uh, us to go to heaven someday. But the message that Jesus preached from the beginning of his ministry on earth was the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is near you. And he even went as far as to say the kingdom of God is within you. All right. So Jesus's ministry was locating the kingdom of God on earth. For instance, Mark 15 describes one of these people that is waiting for the kingdom of God. Joseph of Arimathea, the man who eventually ended up burying Jesus, he was known as a man who was waiting for the kingdom of God. The text says that. He was known as a man who was waiting for the kingdom of God. So many people who were living during the time of Jesus were anticipating the salvation of the Messiah. They were waiting for the kingdom of God to come because the scriptures of the Old Testament were filled with promises that God would someday come and establish his kingdom on earth. Okay, so why were these people who were living during the time of Jesus's ministry on earth waiting for God's kingdom to come to the earth? Because the Old Testament had promises, prophecies written in the text that told everybody, you should be looking for and waiting for the kingdom of God to come. So people who took the text seriously were doing just that. So when Jesus did come as Messiah, he came announcing something. What was it that he announced? That the kingdom of God had what? Come, right. So he did this partly because he knew that the people he was ministering to knew that when Messiah came to save them, he would save them by beginning his reign as a king of a kingdom which they would be subject to, okay? 
Part of the salvation that Jesus brought to the world, he brought his kingdom and people knew that their salvation would be connected to them being subjects in that kingdom. Now that's a weird thought for a lot of us because we live in a democracy. We live in a republic. Uh, we've never really lived under, we haven't lived under a monarchy ever. So this whole king kingdom subject dynamic is actually something that we have to imagine. But when Jesus came as a king, bringing the kingdom of God, what he was meaning was anybody who wanted to enter into this kingdom would have to be subject to this kingdom. This kingdom of God thing isn't an abstract idea living out here that we read in the text occasionally and say, oh, that's nice. No, there's an action associated with entering into the kingdom, which includes you and I becoming subjects to it. All right. So, so, uh, so these folks were anticipating the good news of the kingdom of God coming because they understood that when the kingdom of God comes, it displaces other kingdoms. When the kingdom of God comes, it displaces kingdoms of darkness. That's why we pray for the kingdom of God to come. That's why when we go places as subjects, as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, if we're living as followers, legitimate followers of Jesus Christ, when we're going places, darkness is being displaced. All right. So in Mark one, we see Jesus after he's been baptized in the Jordan. He's been tested in the wilderness and then he enters into the region of Galilee. And the text says that he begins to preach the what? What would Jesus have preached? The kingdom, but otherwise known as the good news. All right. The good news. When Jesus came, it was good news. Y'all, I'm afraid of. I'm afraid this has become true for us. We've heard the phrase good news or gospel so much. It is meaningless to us now. But when Jesus came, it actually represented a goodness that the world had never experienced before. It was the beginning of the manifestation, the inauguration of God's project of building his kingdom on the earth. It was very, 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 very good news, y'all. I hope you're not bored with this message this morning, because when you really begin to see what God did for the world, it will light you on fire. It will do something in your heart, in your mind that will not leave you alone. But we can forget about this because it, it all becomes so familiar. So Jesus comes and he says this, the time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. And he said, repent of your sins and believe the good news. Another translation says it like this. Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news, saying, now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. I love that phrase. Trust this good news. Like sometimes I don't really know what to do, but I know how to trust I know how to trust Jesus. I know how to take him at his words. Sometimes we miss out on the goodness of these scriptures because we've forgotten how to trust. You know, trust is an active thing that we do. Amen. 
You can stop trusting God at times in your life. You can stop believing God at times in your life. If you want to gain more of the Lord, you need to actively trust what he's saying and what he's doing. So why does Jesus come announcing this good news? What is good news sitting in contrast to? Bad news, right? But we got to ask ourselves this question. Is good news simply just an antidote to bad news? Is the gospel just good advice on how to live our best life now? Is that all it is? No, the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God coming to earth is good news because it is the realization or the manifestation that God is not against us. All right? I, I would wager this. There are a whole lot of people walking around this city who have a subconscious thought because they have a poor image of who God is, but they have this thought that God is against them. And Jesus came announcing the good news that God is absolutely not against you. He is 100% for you. God is not distant from us. God is not disconnected from us. And God is not disappointed in us. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. So in the gospel of Luke, Jesus begins his earthly ministry by reading from the Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah. You know this story. It's the beginning of the gospel of Luke. It's in Luke chapter four. Jesus goes to the synagogue. He turns to somebody and says, hand me that scroll. He's asking for the scroll, the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And the way you read it in Isaiah or uh, in Luke four, you could think that it's just one scripture from one text in the book of Isaiah, but it's really from a couple of chapters. It's from Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 61, but he reads this text and he's announcing his intentions. When Jesus is reading this, this text from the book of Isaiah, he is proclaiming what God intends and here's what God intends. I have come to you because the spirit of God is on me and he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now, y'all, there's some of us in here that are oppressed. There's some of us in here that are poor or poor of spirit. There's some of us who have had so much bad news that we almost can't even endure this scripture, this, this proclamation that Jesus makes. It's almost like it's, it's old, it's dusty, it's dry. It doesn't make any sense. It's displaced from my reality. Or we could trust Jesus, take him at his word, and we could see this text as the beginning of the end of our oppression. But here's the thing about the kingdom of God. This project, this project that God has been working on for a really long time called the kingdom of God, it turned out to look much differently than any of those people had anticipated. 
It's, it's not a kingdom that works the way the kingdoms of men work. It doesn't dominate. The kingdom of God doesn't coerce. And by some accounting, the kingdom of God moves and grows very slowly. Some might even say that the kingdom of God is mysterious. And maybe God's kingdom does come slowly and mysteriously in some sense. But in another sense, we can see explicitly what God means by what he says through Jesus Christ. Not everything about God is mysterious. So the teaching text today is found in Isaiah 61. If you have your Bible, if you have your iPhone, get your Bible app out. If you have a new living translation version on your iPhone app, pull that up because that's, that's my new favorite translation. Love the new living. It goes like this. And, and this, is, this is an Old Testament prophecy talking about the man Christ Jesus. All right. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me. That means he's given me power to bring good news to the poor. And he has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies to all who mourn in Israel. He will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. So we today, we're meditating on the kingdom of God. And here is our emphasis today. That God in Christ has come to comfort the brokenhearted. That God in Christ is comforting the brokenhearted. So a while back, I was listening to a radio show that I enjoy called On Being. It's on NPR. It's on every Sunday mornings. And occasionally I'll I'll listen to it on the way into church. And um, I heard this story told by this man, Gregory Orr. And I I just want to read, read you this. The poet Gregory Orr is a professor of English at the University of Virginia. And when I first heard his story, I wept because as he told his tale, what I heard was a person who had suffered deep and tragic heartbreak and yet somehow survived trauma and sadness and eventually dared to let himself be comforted to the point of allowing himself to eventually feel joy again. Have you ever found yourself in a position in your life where you, you, you felt so heartbroken that you could not, you could no longer imagine the possibility of feeling joy again in your life? Have you ever experienced that? That's a terrible place to be. There's a lot of people in the world who have, have experienced had this experience. These people are known as the brokenhearted. So this is what happened to Gregory Orr. When Gregory Orr was 12 years old, while on a hunting trip with his family, he accidentally shot and killed his brother. Here are his own words. 
I believed that I had fired the single bullet in the chamber of my gun. And so as we're standing in this huddle around the dead deer, my father said, make sure your chambers are clear. Make sure your gun is empty. I, assuming that it completely was, pointed it off to my side, not down to the ground as one should. And I pulled the trigger. And instead, it in fact, it, it in fact had not shot. And it hit my brother who was standing right next to me. He, fi- he fell dead. So as you can imagine what happened to Gregory Orr and to his parents, to his community, was that heartbreak came into their lives. With no warning, without prejudice, a brutal new reality descended upon this boy and his family that would change the rest of their lives. Gregory further explained the dynamic of his life of heartbrokenness in the aftermath of this tragedy. This is what he said. Silence can happen. It does happen. Isolation, guilt, fear, shame. How do you respond to that? How do you respond to the suffering that's not just come down on the person, but who has caused that accident? Not just on the person who has caused that accident, but on the people around them who also feel completely responsible. He says this, silence isn't the answer, but I also know oddly that premature consolation is not the answer either. You know, Jesus was sent to comfort the brokenhearted because the world really is full of brokenhearted people. Gregory Orr's story is extreme, but it's not necessarily unique. Many of us have had situations that have caused our hearts to be broken in one way or another. The breaking of the human heart is an ancient problem. The world we live in is very hostile and precarious, and there are many ways people get broken hearts. So we have to ask ourselves the question, is it possible to be healed from a broken heart? I believe that the answer is yes, and I believe that the beginning of healing comes in the form of comfort. The text in, in Isaiah 61 says that Jesus, he comes to comfort the brokenhearted. And I don't, I don't know if you remember me saying this last week, but I said at the end of the service, I said, it's almost impossible for a person with broken heart, a broken heart, to be able to hold hope. You know, your heart is, it's a vessel that carries things. And it's so interesting when, when Jesus says he's, he's coming, he's coming to the brokenhearted first with comfort. That's an interesting statement because it's not like he's coming with power. It's not like he's coming with this victorious message of hope. It's not like he's coming in with a shundai in tongues. For you Pentecostals, you know what I'm talking about. He's coming with comfort. 
He's coming small. He's coming easy. He's coming quietly. The comfort of God's, the comfort of God is a kingdom reality that is actively breaking into our lives. So another question that we should ask ourselves is as subjects, as followers of Jesus and subjects of God's kingdom, how are we to carry comfort to people that are brokenhearted? How do we comfort people? We don't try to control people to force them to be happy when they are not. And I took this from Gregory's, Gregory Orr's words, but we give people the gift of silence and we let our words be few. We start by not saying much to somebody who is suffering. Be okay with giving a person your silent presence first. If you're familiar with the book of Job, you know, Job was this man who just went through like the worst of the worst on planet earth. And as soon as his friends heard that he was having a bad time, they, they descended upon him and they just started talking. It's like all they did. They just made noise. They were trying to help him, but they took him backwards they never, they never actually ended up helping him. They didn't give Job the gift of silence. They didn't just silently sit in his presence and be with him initially. So when we come across somebody who is fighting through brokenheartedness, maybe we need to allow a person to have a healing process that looks differently than ours might look. Or how about this? How about the scripture? Weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. You know, that's, that's in the Bible, y'all. You know, you don't have to have an answer for everybody who has a problem. Sometimes when people who have problems are in your midst, you might just want to weep and mourn with them. That's allowed. But moving beyond the weeping, moving beyond the mourning, those of us who are sitting with those who are brokenhearted, we carry within ourselves the active belief that God's love is truly enough to overcome the reality of any situation. So even when you're sitting silently in somebody's presence and maybe you don't even know what to say, that kingdom reality that you carry within you actually has a way of changing the situation, changing the atmosphere. And you don't have to use control or coercion to make that happen. Sometimes it's just you active, actively carrying your faith. Sometimes we have to carry someone over a distance of time and we have to carry faith for someone because they are too weak to carry it themselves. You know, the word intercede, have you ever heard that if you, in prayer circles to make intercession, you know what it means to really intercede for some, somebody, it means to do for somebody what they are not able to do for themselves. Guys, that is at the very heart of Christian mission. 
That is what you and I are called to. We are called to intercede on behalf who are too weak to do something for themselves. I believe in having faith for other people. I believe in having belief for other people. I believe in having hope for folks who don't have any hope at all. And I don't even have to necessarily beat them over the head with my hope. I can silently bear witness to it. And then maybe I can look for chances to like sneak it out there occasionally. Look for your opening, you know. But sometimes we have to carry hope for someone who is too brokenhearted to carry hope. This is what it means to comfort someone. You believe for someone who doesn't have the strength to believe. You hope for someone who doesn't have the strength to hope. You pray for someone who doesn't have the strength to pray. You see a bright future for someone who can't see anything at all. The act of giving comfort is a prophetic act. The act of giving comfort is actually a prophetic act. You are bringing their good future into this present moment with your hope, with your faith, with your love that you may or may not be silently carrying alongside that person. That is you interceding on behalf of somebody else, giving them comfort. The act of giving comfort is a prophetic act because it resists all the circumstances that seem to contradict the love that is, seems to not exist in their life. You know, a lot of people are walking through this world thinking that they don't belong. They think the opposite of what God thinks. A lot of folks in this world think that they don't measure up, that God has put out with them, that God is disappointed with them. And when you're giving somebody comfort in whatever place they're in, you are making space for that reality to break into their life. When you comfort someone, you are paving the way for them to finally see that the love of God is not too good to be true. Another way we find our way out of brokenness is that we eventually hear a better word and we believe a better word. I've had seasons of my life where I was so consumed with heartbreak that I could not believe a good word at all. I was annoyed with people that were hopeful. I was offended by people who would talk, hope talk, faith talk, love talk. I would, I would, I would distance myself from those people because I could not endure it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there? Where you've just been so broken, you've been so crushed that you can't even carry a hope for a better word. You know, when that happens to you, you just have to kind of like, I don't know, stay the course, stay with your people, stay around people, even though they annoy you. Stay in the church that's always talking about faith, hope, and love, even though you don't believe in anything faith, hope, and love oriented. Like when you don't know what else to do with your life, just show up. Just show up around people of faith who are carrying faith. 
Maybe you have no explanation for God, but maybe somebody else that you're near does. And maybe what they're believing right now is something you can believe eventually. But you know, it's okay. It's okay if it takes you a while to get there. I mean, if I've figured out anything about God, he's patient. He's not in a hurry. He's not got a bucket of wrath that he's ready to pour out on us because we've got a few things wrong in our lives. The love of God is relentless in that it's so patient. It takes a lifetime to figure these things out, doesn't it? Words we speak and words we write have a tremendous amount of power to heal our brokenheartedness. Part of Gregory Orr's testimony, I mentioned that he was a poet, but part of his testimony is that poetry gave him a word to regain order in his life when his whole world had turned into chaos. He described the inner structure. He says, people have a scaffolding on the inside of their their being. And when they come into contact with trauma, that scaffolding burns to the ground. That scaffolding that once gave them purpose and meaning becomes an ash heap. So he, he said that words and poetry became a way of reorganizing his inner world so that he could find his way out of darkness into light. He says this, I'm on record as believing that poetry saved me. I was so isolated that for me, poetry became a way of expressing what was in me, trying to make sense of it. What's beautiful about poetry is that it asks you to turn the world into words, turn everything that's inside you into words. And then it says, look, we're going to really organize these words. We're going to try and make them fit on a single page. Every poem to me is an affirmation of being in the world. It's a way of saying that life has meaning. Here are these words that are trying to sing. I found this testimony so interesting. When I first heard this testimony from Gregory Orr, I mean, it's about poetry. I mean, not everybody is a poet in the world, but I just, I, I was, I was wondering why is this thing about words making so much sense to me? Why, what dots am I trying to connect? And I thought about these two scriptures. First, Jesus says this in Matthew 4. He's in the wilderness. He's being tempted. The devil comes to him and he says, hey, turn these stones into bread and you'll, you won't be hungry and you'll live. And Jesus said this, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Guys, we literally our lives, our very being hangs on words. This is why Jesus came as the word of God. Jesus came as the logos of God because words create meaning for us. That's why the words that you meditate on, the words that you think about are so important. If all you meditate on is darkness and depression, you will be infected by those words. Amy and I were just, I mean, this is such a common conversation now, but like we were talking about extracting ourselves out of the news cycle. You know, it's like so much inner anxiety 
gets put upon us because those words, when they're being spoken into our, our mindsets, they change us, they form us, right? So when we find ourselves in brokenheartedness and we can't find our way out of it, we have to go find a good word. We have, and Jesus is the good word, y'all. If you don't know what else to think, if you don't know what else to believe, I mean, this is back to the beginning of what I was talking about this morning. If you don't know who to trust, trust Jesus. If you don't know where to start in your scripture reading, go find the words of Jesus and meditate on that. Don't just read it. Take it into you. Let it form you. Let it change you because it will really fill you with power. And I'm not even talking about the power to be successful. I'm not talking about the power to do great things in the world. I'm just talking about the power to thrive as a human being on planet earth. So there's that scripture in Matthew four, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And then in the gospel of John, it says this. So the word became human and made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. This is the good news. The word became flesh and he's manifesting unfailing love and faithfulness. Man, that's such good news, y'all, because the world isn't faithful. The world is not faithful. Listen, I am not one of these Christians that believes in extracting yourself out of the world. I am not one of those. I love culture. I love pop culture. I like going to the movies. I like the internet. I like Instagram. I like all of that stuff. You know, if you want to disconnect from all of that world because the Lord tells you to do that, do that. But I'm not that guy. I like movies that, you know, not everybody should watch. It's okay. Me and Jared, we like There Will Be Blood, Daniel Day-Lewis, you know? That's my kind of movie. But this word, this word that we really need to fill ourselves up on is this word of, of unfailing love and faithfulness. Here's the picture I am seeing. In chaos and in suffering, we can start to believe that nothing is meaningful, Right? That untrustworthy thing that's out in the world, that's not faithful, that's not stable. The more you give yourself to that, the more you will feel that instability that's on the outside coming on to the inside of you. But we can see that all the contradictions and we can start to conclude that nothing matters and that despair will prevail In chaos, it is hard to imagine a good word that would help us make any sense of anything at all. But when the word is embraced, the word of God, Jesus, the Logos of God, when that word is embraced, received and consumed, we gain an ability, a strength and a sight to start making sense of our struggles because the word allows us to see beyond these present difficulties into the greatest reality of all, which is the full manifestation of the kingdom of God. Kim, could you, could you and Justin come on up? I mean, y'all, sometimes sermons are so boring. You know, it's like, The preacher gets up. He's worked all week on his sermon 
And he's like trying to transfer all this information into all of these people that are just like, do you ever feel like you're a hostage in front of a preacher? Like you're captive and you can't go anywhere. I know, I know that feeling so well. But but the, here's the reality, y'all. The things that I'm saying to you all, this is, this is not because I want you to hear special words. This is not so I can practice my speech giving skills. What I really am excited about today is that there is a reality of the kingdom of God that wants to break forth in our lives and, and it's happening. I mean, you don't even have to leave here and feel like you're less of a Christian because you don't even relate to any of the things that Andy just said. The, the true reality is that God's word is breaking forth in our lives, whether we know it or not. And we get these little glimpses of revelation and we wake up one day and we go, oh, wow, I've never seen that before. That's really interesting. Lord, lead me into more of that. You know, when you get these little things that the spirit of the Lord is telling you, you can actually ask him to take you into more of that. You know, I do that all the time. Like, um, I just get a little bit of revelation on something and I can't quite see the whole picture. I just like, Lord, accelerate me into a place of greater understanding. I just thank God that we don't have to depend on the preacher for all the revelation in our lives. Amen. I mean, your life with Jesus is your life with Jesus. I love what Thomas was, was riffing on this morning. It's like, like we are not consumer Christians. We are not like people that are like, making deals with God so he'll give us a really good life on planet earth. We are people that are following Jesus because we believe this word that he's saying, that there really is hope for brokenhearted people. And I want to tell you this. I know I'm long-winded and going too long, but but y'all, I am the king of pain, y'all. Like I have built a whole brand on that. Andy Squires is known for writing sad, sad songs and putting them out there in the world. So I get it. I love the sad songs. I love the sad music. I will never stop writing those things. But I want you to know that I do not live from a well of sadness in my life. I do have times where I am very sad, but there is this river of joy that has overtaken my sadness. That, now, here's a really interesting thing. It's... I used to think it was, it worked like this. There's sad seasons and there's happy seasons. There's sorrowful seasons and there's joyful seasons. That's not the way this thing works. Those things are like, they're, they're linked. They're intertwined. It's like a mystery. I know I'm not making any sense right now, but, but I was actually, I was actually talking to um, the Jensen's this week. I was talking to Josh and um, Dusty Jensen. We were on a Zoom call this week and, and, um, I don't think they'd mind me sharing this, but they, they, their son Lazarus passed away. I, I think many of you know that story, but I, I was, I, I called him up. We did a Zoom call because one of the things that I've noticed about the Jensen's is that they've lost bigger than most people that I know have lost. But I, I was, I was trying to figure out why do these, why does Dusty get up here and lead worship? Why do these people even come to church at all? Like, 
Because if, if, if the God situation was a transactional situation, they should have abandoned ship. But they just began to like tell me about how this journey that they've been on with the Lord has been so marked by brokenheartedness, so marked by being crushed by the realities of life, so marked by losing in a way that they never imagined that they would ever have to lose. And yet they found themselves in a situation that they really had no theology for at all. And as they began to talk, they just began to, to like explain in words as best they could about this river of joy that began to like sweep over their life. And they were, the dynamic was so interesting because it was like, it really didn't do away with the sorrow part. But the weird thing is, is that the sorrow that they could still see, still feel, still carry, actually exemplified and magnified the joy that the Spirit of God was pouring out on them. Can you feel that? Maybe you can't. That's okay. I just, I would like us, I would like us to respond to the Lord. I am all about responding to the Lord. I don't know if y'all know that about me yet, but I like to give space for people to respond to the Lord because the worst thing that I think about church is that you just go You sing some songs, you hear a boring message, and then you leave. That is not the way I want to do church at all. I want, this is what I know about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is available to us now to bring real transformation into our hearts. Amen? And I'm not talking about getting sin out of your life. I mean, you may have sin to get out of your life. I don't care about that. I'm just saying the Lord wants to do a work in you today. So if you want to respond to the Lord this morning, let's just stand. Let's just stand up together. You don't have to, but if you want to, you can. It's okay if you just stay sitting. It's perfectly okay. Hmm. Here's the first thing I want to do. <laughs> What's that old, what's that old phrase? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I do not want to do that at all. So if you want to close your eyes, be my guest. But I like to look around the room and see what people are doing, you know? And, and also, I think, I think it's good for us to practice vulnerability with each other. You know, it's like, hey, Here's a good idea. Take a risk. Take a risk in your life. And it could look like this. If you have felt any measure of brokenheartedness, it could be very minimal. It could be like max level brokenheartedness. If you have that experience in your life, but but it's still clinging to you and you feel like weary from carrying that thing around and you haven't been able to get rid of that thing in your life, would you just like, maybe just like put your hand out like this? You don't have to raise your hand, but just like do this. That's 
That's my grandson, Otis. He's always amening me. I love it. I love it. Whew. And, and, and now we get to practice patience together for just a second. So here's what I want to do. Just let the Holy Spirit wash over you right now. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now. We thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're here. Breathing over us, washing over us, cleansing us, giving us new life, speaking a better word giving hope where there was no hope, giving love where we were lacking love. Oh, Lord, you said this. You would bind up the brokenhearted. This is the very fundamental of your kingdom ministry, Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit, we need your power. We need your presence to take our brokenheartedness right now. Take our brokenheartedness right now. Y'all, just offer that up to the Lord right now. Just offer him your brokenheartedness as a sacrifice of praise right now. Just give it to him. Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that your word is breaking through right now. Your better word is breaking through right now. know it's kind of low-hanging fruit it's kind of low-hanging fruit to preach on brokenheartedness it's like you don't have to be a prophet right it's like oh wow we're talking about brokenheartedness today good one pastor you know but this is what i this is what i believe i believe that because we kind of just like live with that thing and we don't deal with it, it it doesn't go away. And that's why we need each other, y'all. Remember that thing that I said to y'all a few weeks ago, don't ask somebody how they're doing, ask them what they're going through. My son-in-law, Andy, he's the only guy that I know who's been doing that. (laughs) What, What are you going through? But that point, That point of vulnerability, that's the thing where heartbrokenness is also healed. When we hear one another's stories and we pray for one another and we we encourage one another and we give each other that hopeful word. Um, What what I want to do right now is I want to invite the prayer team up. We're going to go ahead and dismiss here in just a second, but I want to have the prayer team come up because I know some of y'all want to receive a little more prayer than what we just did. Um, so if you would like, if you would like to uh, have these folks lay hands on you, pray over your life, you'd do it, like to do a little more work with the Lord this morning, they're all going to be available up here after service is dismissed. Um, but Let's just thank the Lord. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the work you've done. 
Thank you for the work you've done in our lives. And we pray that you would continue on this week with us in our jobs, in our lives, in our schools, in everything that we're about, Lord. Just ask you to keep touching us, Holy Spirit. Take us out of that valley of brokenheartedness into the fullness of your kingdom life, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Invite somebody out to lunch. Give somebody a Christian side hug. Hang out. Don't go anywhere too soon. Be friends with each other. Find a stranger, become their friend. Y'all have a great, great week. listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.